Turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, as we continue to follow the progression of the ministry of Jesus Christ. As you recall earlier in our study that Jesus had announced there in the area of Caesarea Philippi that he was now moving towards Jerusalem. He knew that he had an appointment with a cross, a cross that would uh, serve as a symbol for our redemption, a place where he would be indeed the sacrificial lamb of God and pay the price for our sins. He knew that he would be arrested and he knew that he would be put on a rock trial and then tortured and executed. He told his disciples this. So they knew when he began to leave the region of Galilee and he began to point his way towards the south, he was headed towards this destiny of the cross. This morning in chapter 19, we'll be looking at Jesus' teaching on the subject of marriage. The institution of biblical marriage is sacred and not open to modification. It's not up to the whims of man. Marriage is a wonderful, wonderful sacred relationship that God has ordained from the beginning of time. Uh, I'm happy to be married. I'm thankful for my marriage. My sweet wife is, I think, in the nursery. Jan and I have been married for about 38 years this past March. You know, the odds makers, some of our family and friends, and Jan and I recorded uh, they they were pretty pretty sure that this relationship was not going to make it. We were we were just too different. I mean, on one hand you have this biscuit brown Saponi Indian, and on the other hand this lily white German girl, a southern rural and I mean very rural country boy, and this suburban Yankee who grew up on the suburbs uh, outskirts of Buffalo, New York. Uh, you have this uh, guy that loves southern fried chicken and biscuits and gravy and lots of desserts. And this gal who really enjoyed her kosher jelly meats, German potato salad, and very few desserts. If that wasn't bad enough, here a southern gospel born and bred boy, southern gospel since before I was born, and this Lutheran girl, who comes from a lineage of Lutheran ministers going all the way back into the immigration from Germany. And then we really make matters rough. A Washington Redskins football fan. And a buffalo I mean, was there any hope that this relationship would ever have a chance? I believe in miracles, people, because not only do we have a marriage of 38 years, we have a good marriage. And I thank God for that. I thank God for my wife, and I thank God for the privilege of being Jan's husband. And I thank the Lord that even though she's a Yankee, she's very patient. Maybe think about a story I heard about this couple that was celebrating their 50th anniversary. And someone asked the man, how is it that y'all lasted so long and done so well 
50 years, 50 secrets. He got a smile and he said, yeah, we met in college. I was from suburbs of New Jersey, and she was a ranch girl from Texas. But we met at college and we just knew we were made for each other. We just fell head over heels in love with one another. And we had a short courtship and just decided we had to get married. So we just went ahead and, and took the leap and got married. And so we decided we wanted to go to the Grand Canyon for our, our, our honeymoon. And so we were there at the Grand Canyon and so we decided we wanted to ride one of those mule trails you know, down into the canyon. We get a mule and ride it around the craggy cliffs and canyon walls down into the Grand Canyon. So she was riding on her mule ahead of me, just ahead of me, and I noticed that uh, on one occasion the mule stumbled. And she quietly just got off of her mule and walked around and looked me in the eye and said, that's one. And back on her mule then started to ride again and, and the doggone the thing stumbled again. And he says again. She just nonchalantly got off the mule, went around, took the bridle, looked in the eye and said, that's twice. And back on the mule proceeded and then a third time the poor mule stumbled. She said she just nonchalantly got down off of a mule, went around, licked him in the face, and pulled out a revolver out of her purse and said, that's three times two. And pulled him, graveyard dead. Said the corpse and the mule just rolled over the side of the cliff into the canyon. She said, I'm sitting on my mule, horrified. Stop. I, I, I screamed at her and said, how could you do such a thing? That was heartless. That was cold. That was cruel. So she just calmly, she put her revolver back in her purse, looked at me and said, that's one. <laughs> so the first time that Jan, when I was complaining to Jan about not making homemade dishes for me, and she said, that's one. We had a great marriage. Marriage is a very wonderful thing that's given to us by God. You'll see that Jesus gives us a teaching that's very important. And I encourage you to look in your Bibles in chapter 19 of Matthew in verse 1. And when it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, what sayings are these? Jesus, if you remember a few weeks back, we were in chapter 18, Jesus is talking about the importance of the body of Christ dealing with the presence of sin. But not only dealing with the presence of sin, but also that as we are sinned against, we are willing to forgive. And we must practice forgiveness because God expects us. So these very important teachings of Jesus are teaching his disciples. Up until this point, Jesus and his disciples. And he's teaching them very important kingdom lessons. So Matthew says, after he finished these sayings, that he, Jesus, departed from Galilee. Galilee. This is the last time that Jesus would be in the region of Galilee in his earthly ministry. And returned to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, a region just on the eastern shores of the river Jordan, known as Perea. It's a narrow strip of land that goes along the eastern side of the Jordan River, but it still is considered a part of the region of Judea. He's making his way down that way. Now, this is the pathway that most of the Jews traveled from southern Judah up to 
Galilee and northern regions without going through Samaria. Remember, he talked about how Jesus and his disciples decided to go through Samaria. And in John chapter 4, he encountered the Samaritan woman. But most Jews wouldn't dare travel through Samaria. So they crossed the Jordan River and went up on their eastern side. So this is a very busy, it's an I-40 kind of a area. Because we've got a lot of traffic. And it's a few months from the Passover, so you're beginning to have a heavy traffic of, of children, Jewish children, making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And personally, Jesus puts himself in this position, in this area, because he's a good king. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. That's not a small statement, folks. Because I want you to understand that I don't believe Jesus just picked out a few out of the crowd, like some of these crafty so-called faith healers today. Now, I think everybody that came to Jesus needing healing got healed. I mean, he healed all day long. I believe into the evening hours, he healed lepers and he healed uh, demon-possessed people. He gave the cripples the ability to walk. He healed the blind and made them see. I believe he healed and he healed. And those people were absolutely amazed as they were up in the region of Galilee. Jesus was taking advantage of all these people coming down through there on their way to Jerusalem. And he would attract the multitude, but wouldn't you know it, he would attract the spiritual buzzards too. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the, the archenemies of Jesus. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees. And, and they come to Jesus in verse 3. Now, they're not coming to be healed. They're not coming to be instructed, would you say. They're not coming for their personal edification. They hate Jesus. We knew earlier in our examination of the Gospel of Matthew, they've already determined we've got to kill this man. He is exposing our hypocritical lifestyles. He's exposing our unbiblical teachings. He's bad for business. The Pharisees were the dominant body making up the Sanhedrin. This is a large party. And so they come now to see if they can test Jesus. They want to set him up. They want to see if they can catch him in some kind of a trap where they can humiliate him and discredit him. So why not take the issue of marriage and divorce? Because in that day, as in today's time, it's a hotly debated and, deba- and, and discussed issue. And so there's one to Jesus there in Chapter 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? That's a dumb question. Because here was a big loaded question. That's a dumb question because, you see, Jesus has already answered that. They knew everything Jesus had been teaching. Don't you think the grapevine among the Pharisees didn't work? It worked. Then he's back in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, as we saw, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, they saw and heard him say, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. He's quoted from Deuteronomy 24.1. But I say to you, 
And whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So they knew already where Jesus said it stood. They knew that he took a very conservative stance on the issue of marriage and divorce. But the question is, because, you see, the Pharisees, if you were looking at the liberal and the conservative spectrum of that day, on the matter of marriage and divorce, there were two schools of teaching, rabbinical schools. One was the school of Hillel. And Hillel was a very liberal rabbi. He took the passage out of Deuteronomy 24, and where it says, if, if a man any uncleanness about his wife, then he can divorce her. Write her letter, she's out of there. Now, he focused not so much on the word uncleanness, sexual immorality, he grabbed the word any. He expanded it. And so he, he was teaching that if you are married and there's anything about your wife you don't like, I see some of you guys are starting to bring these working now. But just that, don't, don't go there. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees grabbed that thinking, that interpretation, and they were, they were tickled to death with it because, as hard as it sounds to us, men who didn't like the way their wife let her hair down in public, or if she dared to talk to a man in public, or if maybe he didn't like the way she cooked, or any just any reason a man could write a letter of divorce and say, you're out of here. Sorry. And the Pharisees were having a heyday with this because they too were doing that. They were marrying and divorcing left and right because, hey, Hillel said we could. Now, there was another school, a very minor school, I thought, Shammai, who went to the far ultimate End of the other, the other end of the spectrum. Ultra, ultra, ultra legalistic and said, listen, you can never divorce. Never out of what? Never, never. So now they come to Jesus and they're going to try to set him up because you see, they want to put Jesus up against the lawgiver, Moses. And so the first thing that we see Jesus doing is helping them and us to see the first Marriage has been defiled. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I know that the original sin in Genesis chapter 3. The marriage relationship that God had ordained to be, a man would be the head of his wife. He would lead in that relationship. A wife as his equal, comparable helper. To follow and trust him. That's what God's designed for marriage to work that way. Do you notice something different about Genesis chapter 3? Do you understand that if we look at that, though this was not the original sin itself, but isn't it interesting that Satan chose to use the context of marriage to allow the original sin to occur? Because what happened was, instead of Eve following the lead of her husband, she decided she would take the lead. And she encountered Satan. She decided she would make the decision. 
and to pursue the truth. Can you get God's pattern out of order, ladies and gentlemen? It always results in trouble. But Adam, let's not leave Adam out of this thing. Adam, instead of leaving, when his wife came to him and told him what she had done, instead of leaving in the way that God had told him to do and be obedient to God as, as a man should be in a marriage, Adam became the follower. And followed his wife into this very disastrous decision. And then, in that context, came the calamity of the original sin. From the very beginning, sin has, has defiled marriage. The way God intended for it to be. And Jesus is pointing out to this group of Pharisees that come to him with this question, with this multitude listening, hoping that he is going to set himself up to make it look like he's going to be teaching against Moses? That would surely discredit him. In Moses verse 4, because Jesus helps us to see that marriage is defiled in the hearts of sinful people. Before Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read? Now that's almost like a sarcastic jab at the Pharisees because they pride themselves in being the they, they, they are experts in the law. They didn't use the scriptures. They were the experts. And Jesus asked them, haven't you even read? Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And then he goes on. He says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be, become one flesh. Have you not read this? You know what Jesus does? He takes them back beyond Moses. You see, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, we find where Moses, in giving instructions to the people of Israel, who gave them a, 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 a command, if you will. But the command was not to divorce the wife. Let me take you back there very quickly. You don't have to turn it. I can read it to you. It says in, in 24.1 of Deuteronomy, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. And then he goes on to say, if that woman meets another man, gets married, and that man dies, or if he chooses to write her letter of divorce, he says, Mistress, that wife, cannot go back to her original husband and be married. That would be a defilement. Two sins don't make a right. What Moses was doing was trying to protect the integrity of this woman. She would be passed from one to the other, to the other, to the other. He says, you're divorcing your wives anyway. That's happening anyway. By the time that Moses was with the children of Israel, listen, they had no regard for the sanctity of marriage. They were divorcing already. This is not a permission to divorce. It's simply writing in a guideline to protect the, the, this woman. And they constantly, repeatedly defile. I'll tell you what else it is. It's an expression 
of the mercy of God. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us very plainly in the Word of God. Commit adultery, this stone, kill, therefore. God extended His mercy because He did not have all the people, and there were many who were committing adultery, who were, who were divorcing their, 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 their wives. God didn't have them stoned. He extends His mercy. The fact that they weren't stoned says that God, even at the early stage in the life of Israel, was being merciful. But God was setting a guideline there. And now in Jesus' day, these people are taking what Moses was trying to do to keep things from becoming rampantly immoral like the pagan neighbors around them, and now they, they've taken it and twisted it as if to say that you must divorce. And that's not what it was saying. So it is a dilemma in Jesus' day, and it's a dilemma in our current day. Over a million divorces occur in this country. Unfortunately, many of them happen among Christians. I realize that some of you have gone through the pain of divorce, and, and I've shared with you before, listen, my heart goes out to you. It's nothing about going through the breakup of a marriage. Nothing about that that is easy. It's hurtful. And you suffer through that. Divorce is a sin, and just like any sin, when we come before God and we can face it, God forgives us. And then we go on with the determination that we will make marriage sacred from this point on. Somebody asked Dr. Billy Graham, what do you think about, you know, divorce? Yeah, what, how, what's the solution? He said, look, you can't unscramble eggs. It's not a simple matter just going back and saying, you go back to your husband, you go back to your wife once you, once you bring marriage. But Jesus is helping the people who are listening in to understand the way that God truly intended marriage to be. He first pointed out to these wicked, sinful, dangerous Jewish leaders that they were so contorting the Word of God, they were twisting the Word of God for their own physical, selfish, sinful pleasure. And not only that, they were marketing it out in, amongst the people. So it was going on rampantly. We'll see in the same passage that Jesus' own disciples, after Jesus taught them the real way to do marriage, they were wondering, my goodness, can we do this? Even James, John, Andrew, Matthew, all of them had the same mindset because they've been taught this way by the religious system of their day. Listen, marriage is not permanent. If you get tired of your wife, pick up a season, write her a letter, divorce her. So that was the mindset of Jesus' disciples. Until Jesus set the record straight. So as we move further there in chapter uh, 19 and verse 4, we find that marriage, Jesus married, he defines marriage. Marriage is defined because Jesus refers to the original pattern, the original design. He gives them a refresher course. Number one, as he quoted Genesis 1.27, Genesis 5.2, he says that God created them man and female. And then emphatically in the Hebrew it says the one man and the one woman. In case anybody was confused. I think it's a message that Tim preached last Sunday 
about the abomination of the sacred institution of marriage, did you have another sin, homosexuality? And even in the time that people are very disoriented, very disturbed, and very confused. And it's important that God's people understand our orientation according to the words of God and know what the truth is. Listen, God designed marriage from the very beginning to be between one male and one female. That's for life. That was clearly the marriage relationship. Period. So then Jesus goes on not only to refer to the original design, but he reaffirms God's original plan. Look at verse 5 and 6. And he said, and he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, verse 5, in chapter 19, he says, and, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You understand Jesus is helping the people that they go to say, Listen, marriage is not just some civil arrangement. It's not just some contract that you enter into and then get bored with and you get started. Listen, this is a sacred, divine creation of God. Do you understand? Do you understand that when two believers come together in the presence of God, God does a supernatural, divine thing. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. He becomes an independent entity. But not only that, he shall cling bound to his wife. Such that in God's eyes, with the power of the Spirit of God working in the hearts and the minds of that bride and that groom, they cease to be two individuals in God's thoughts. They become one. They are a beautiful creation of God. That marriage becomes a creation of God. The very word when he talks about cleaving in the Hebrew is, is the same essence of the word consecrate. You as a husband and a wife, and I'm talking about believers. This doesn't apply to non-believers. Lost people because their Lord's not their Lord. They're not under Godship. They're doing what they normally do. They're acting like animals. And they go out and procreate and they, you know, jack up and go around and bounce around from partner to partner. That's what unsaved, lost people do. Marriage is a sacred union in the eyes of God, where God works in the heart of a man and a woman and brings them together, and He creates that which was not before. Sacred. Consecrated. Yeah, oftentimes the Bible uses marriage to, to describe the relationship of the body of Christ, the church, with Jesus. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and paid the price for giving his blood to pay the price for the sins of the church, the body of Christ, let me tell you something. Every true, genuine, born-again believer that puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is bound to Christ. We are his bride. There is no power in hell and heaven and anywhere in all of creation. There is no principality or power that can separate Christ, the bridegroom, from his bride. Listen. I like that song. Now I belong to Jesus. I sure do. Nobody's going to separate me from him. And that's 
the same language that the Bible uses to describe this divine creation that transpires from a man and woman standing at the altar and spreads their vows before God and the company of witnesses to be one flesh together, to live together, to respect one another, to love one another through sickness and health and wealth and until death is in part. That's what Jesus is helping them to see that this is a wonderful creation of God. How dare we? He goes on to say in verse 6, So then, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. A bond of love and Christian marriage is indivisible. It is inseparable. That's the attitude we should have. I'm so thankful, and I consider myself very blessed to have been able to walk a good example of a Christian marriage. My model for me, many years, 63 years, my parents, my mom and dad were married. And when my mom contracted ALS, and she began to go through the ravages of that deadly disease. I saw something in that marriage that not only made me so proud, but it made me say, I want that too. I saw that old rough farmer man that we thought was setting his ways and could never take on domestic powers and abilities. I saw a transformation come over him as he watched his sweetheart begin to suffer. I was going to do things for her. I never thought I'd see my dad help put a pair of pantyhose on my mama. And he would laugh about it. And he'd get to laugh and he'd kid her. I'd help her to, to, to bathe. And I remember one night when I was up there, we'd take turns spending the night. Uh, and he would always, he would insist that he would sleep with her. So that when she needed to get up to try to go to the restroom, she couldn't do it on her own. He would help her. Or watch this old hardened. And got the farmer in the wee hours of the morning, not one grunt, never heard him complaining, but he was up there helping her make her way to the restroom, and I'll be running there to try to help him because she can hardly walk. And I went for good one night after he had helped her, I was graphic, but after she went to the restroom, he was proud of her. And I was about three o'clock in the morning and she had finished and he had pulled up her adult diaper, you know, before he did, he had old pallet puffed out. Now this is the guy that plowed with his big old hands and handled mules and, and he's back there just a powering her up behind, you know. I mean, it, I looked, it, it, it was priceless because I looked at my mom's face and I saw the sweetest smile come across his face. And she just shook her head like, I said, I know, Mama, she thinks she's a top doctor. So let me tell you something, you don't get that kind of devotion and self selflessness and sacrifice. Just out of pure romance and emotions, it comes through absolute Christian conviction to say, listen, through good and through bad, through sickness and through health, through through wealth and through poverty, till death do us parting the last day of her life on this earth, over there my sister's house in Queensville, as she is slipping on in his glory, he was holding her hand. 
Biblical concept of marriage, and I believe the true church today will defend biblical marriage at all costs. We saw some of this just recently. Marriage, traditional biblical marriage came under attack. It blessed my heart to see Christians rallying to the, to the cause. It blessed my heart. Now, and I give credit to a lot of the senior adults. The polls were swamped by older citizens, and I thank God for you and those of us who went. We made sure that we expressed our conviction that marriage is only between one man and one woman for life. I don't care if the president goes in a diabolical or opposite direction, diametrical opposite direction, probably diabolical too. I don't care if the gay rights advocates are, 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 are making threats. I don't care if the public media and all of their liberalism and, and I, I don't care if family members and friends are, are beating you over the head with their, you know, why don't you love people and all those weak excuses. Listen, we as the body of Christ, we as the church, we must stand for what marriage was designed by God to be. We don't need to make exceptions to accommodate a sinful world. We don't have to try to make it palatable and, and, and water down the guidelines so that other people might come on board. Listen, we just need to stand through the way that God designed it. And of course, Father's Day. And I want to put this on my heart. I know many of you fellows will be showered by gifts. I wish those from your sweeties, children, and your wives, grandchildren, things like that. But God, can I, can I challenge us today? And this can be for all the men. Can I challenge us, knowing that God has put us in a role of spiritual leadership? Can we give a gift on this Father's Day? I think one of the greatest gifts that a father can give is the conviction and the commitment to his wife that hell and high water, not a wild team of wild horses, is going to cause me to leave you home. Sometimes in January I would argue. I know y'all think of the preaching wife, all them. What happened? I know the Yankees, Southerner. <sighs> Sometimes they would get a little bit, you know, emotionally charged. I'm always here, I'm really embarrassed of it. She was a little girl. And I know she had some friends who had, had parents who divorced. So when Jan and I happened to be one of those arguments, that was maybe a little bit vocal. This was like this is running there, where we were. Right in the middle of it. And she said, I don't want to get a divorce. And you can see the panic on her face. Thank you, Lord. I hope to get that book. Not that I ever considered divorce in my life, but you know what that did? That reinforced in me. There's no way, there's nothing in the world that would cause me to want to in any way inflict this kind of hurt upon my precious children or upon my precious life. Dad, give your wives a shirt to do this thing for the long haul. Nobody, nothing, no circumstances is going to drive a wedge between you. 
And I stand before you to say, not a, not a team of wild horses is going to separate me from Dan. Uh, new box, sorry. But you don't have a different opinion. And I say that confidently. Because when we came to that altar, and we said, so death you were taught, I take that very seriously. That's your wife's name. If you're a man of your word, and you're going to stick this thing, stick to it all the way. All the way. Put your children and grandchildren speak up the number of decades that you have married together. Leave a legacy of Christian love. And dad, granddad, let the children see it. I'm going to help your darling little girl and handsome little boy sleep good at night. I'm going to go off to school and they're doing to have a sense of security. You let them know there's nothing going to take you out of that homestead. You're there. You'll have children who will have a sense of security. With grandpa, you'll have grandchildren that will have that sense of security. It's one of the greatest gifts a father can give. As a commitment, this is the way God Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much. That in the marvel of your creation, you understood the absolute essential role that Christian marriage could take. And the building of strong communities and the building of strong societies and the building of the kingdom of God. Lord, my heart aches for those who have experienced the breakup of a marriage. You know better than I do, Lord. And though they have confessed that and they're going on with their lives, Lord, I know that you are still there to comfort them and to reassure them. I pray you strengthen their faith and determination. And if they engage in another marriage, that they will be committed to do it your way all the way. Let us pray for every marriage represented in this church. I pray, God, in a time when marriage is coming under vicious attacks by the enemy, God, strengthen the faith of your people. Help us as a church to be a friend of biblical marriage, to encourage the enrichment of Christian marriages, not make excuses for their dissolution. So, God, I thank you. We thank you. And we ask, Lord, today that you help us to be faithful in developing strong biblical marriages and subsequently strong biblical Christian homes. May you be glorified, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.